Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Donna, whose son had a near-death experience before he transitioned to the other side. And she has had dreams of him since his passing, which we're going to talk about today and more. Donna, thank you for being on our podcast and welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I love your show. Thank you. Donna, if you don't mind, can you start with your son's near-death experience? Sure. Um, My son was 31. Uh, His name was Matt. And on that particular day, uh, he was making some changes. And one of those changes was he wanted to stop drinking alcohol. And he was a couple days into alcohol withdrawal. And he was at his apartment alone. And he was kind of pacing around, uh, sweating, rapid heartbeat, uh, having a lot of anxiety. And he kind of was getting sick of it. So he got to the point where he was like, you know, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go get more alcohol. And he went to grab his keys and he heard a really loud audible voice. And uh, it was very clear and real to him. And it was uh, his paternal grandfather that said, uh, man, don't, don't do it. Don't go get more. And he was kind of freaked out by that because he didn't study anything spiritual. He didn't believe in any kind of afterlife. Uh, He kind of thought when you're dead, you're dead. So it freaked him out. And um, he was like grandpa. And uh, he was like, yeah, don't do it. He said, you need to get yourself together for your family. And I guess this interaction with his grandfather was extended. He didn't elaborate that part really with me. Um, There was another woman involved that was talking to him as well. Um, He perceived to be some, his good friend's deceased grandmother. Um, But when that ended, that interaction with those two, Uh, back to reality and the sweating and the anxiety and all that came back again. He kind of got separated from that while he was having that interaction. But then when he came back, uh, mentally, he was feeling the effects of the alcohol withdrawal again. Um, And then he started to hear what he perceived to be demonic voices that were uh, saying things to him really negative, like you're going to fail and we're coming to get you and uh, just stuff really demeaning that he didn't want to hear. So he didn't want to go get the alcohol. He was pretty serious about his grandfather's advice. 
but he didn't like what he was hearing. So I think he thought if he left the uh, apartment that he could get away from that. Uh, and he went, uh, he left the apartment without his phone and without his um, wallet. And he just grabbed his keys and started to drive. He doesn't remember why he got in a car accident. Um, they think, because uh, after the hospital, he was in a treatment facility and they thought maybe he could have had a seizure or hallucinated because those are things that can happen with alcohol withdrawal if you're not getting help. And, you know, he might have saw something in the road and tried to avoid it, something like that. But what he does remember is he said he saw himself in his car in a field and he said that his car was on fire and the EMTs were trying to get him out of the car, but they couldn't get the door open. So they had to break open his window and pull him out through the window. And he got a lot of cuts from that. But he said his chest had gotten compressed from the steering wheel and he wasn't breathing. So they had called in a helicopter um, and he was airlifted to a larger hospital in the area. And he said he saw himself, um, they took his clothes off and they were working on him and he saw him being put in the helicopter. But that's the last part he remembers of the accident scene. He said the next thing he remembers is that he was uh, on his back uh, being elevated by force up a tunnel and he said the tunnel was uh, kind of a gray and white mist and it was really big and he said that um, it was full of angels the white sparkling bright white lights that he said he knew were angels and they were talking to him about him and singing to him and he said as he ascended up he started to become aware of a lot of the things that he had done that he was ashamed about, uh, really embarrassed that he had done, regretted. And he said that he was uh, kind of freaked out because while he was thinking about that, they were responding to that. And he was not verbalizing it. So that scared him because they could, uh, monitor they knew what he was thinking without him actually saying it and they told him uh, to that's okay to not focus on that to just let that go and so once he got to the um top of or the opening at the other side of the tunnel he said he was enclosed again he had white on and he said of this particular scene, he was a, an observer of a situation. And he said it was some sort of meeting going on. And he said there were people uh, kind of scattered around, two or three people here, two or people, three people there, in kind of a Roman architecture. Uh, there were columns. And he said there was a building, but these people were outside of the building they were on like marble ground and they were all talking amongst each other as if 
trying to make a decision about something. Um, and he said that uh, the grounds were maintained like we would maintain a nice building here with like uh, shrubbery and greenery and flowers and stuff like that. And I asked him what these people look like. And he said that um, they had kind of of that uh, era or whatever clothes on. Like they had like togas, that gold sandals. And he said that they had colors like uh, royal blues and purples and whites and gold. Like they were of importance or something. They were just kind of fancy. And he said off to the right, um, there were two thrones. And he said one was higher than the other. And he said they were both gold. And he said that um, seated in the higher one was God. And in the one that was right next to it, slightly lower, Jesus was sitting in that. And he said they both had a uh, gold dome, uh, like a, at the back of their head that was kind of glowing. And he said that. Uh, God had black hair and Jesus had brown hair and they both had like a beard that was tied to their face and they were observing this meeting intently. He said, as if they were overseeing it or waiting for these people to come to some sort of conclusion about what was being talked about. And he said that Jesus did look over at him and nod to acknowledge him, but then looked back onward to whatever was happening between these people. And he said, that's all he saw there. He said, the next thing I know, I was um, in a outside area by a big, like oak tree. I was standing right next to it, he said. And it was uh, like, off to the left was a, a gold wheat field. And he said everything was really alive. He liked being there a lot. He said it felt as if he was part of that whole experience. Like there was no separation. And he said he, if he wanted, he could look down and see like the roots of the tree descending into the ground and everything was um how do you say it solid but yet see-through like um where it it was not it was a live moving kind of an uh I guess I'm kind of losing words here a little bit trying to remember exactly how he described it. Maybe he didn't know exactly how to describe it, but um, fluid maybe is the word he used. Um, and he said that everything was very uplifting because there's no death there. It felt really positive. And he said there was a big golden sun and off to the right of the tree, he said there was uh, some moss covered rocks that there were dragonflies kind of resting on and he said he wasn't alone there um there was a group of people holding hands around him around the tree and uh 
I asked him what they look like and he didn't describe them like he had the people in the previous scene with the wardrobe like that. He told me they were of different races. Uh, One was like black, one was Japanese, Indian, and so on. And I I found that interesting because um, that's kind of how he lived his life here. He made friends with whoever he wanted to make friends with that didn't matter where they came from. And he traveled all over. He lived in Japan. He spoke Japanese. He spoke Spanish. He uh, lived in New York, made different friends there. He went to Hawaii, went to Washington, California. Uh, He was over in Europe, made friends there as well. So I felt like maybe it was almost like what he created here was what was happening there by having all those people of the different races. And they told him that we're so glad you're here. We love you and we miss you. And he said he didn't recognize them, uh, but they all acted like they knew exactly who he was. And then once he left that place, he said he was uh, at a different place where he was meeting with this people that told him, not yet, but we're coming back soon to get you. Those were the people he was going to be traveling the universes with. And they gave him dates of upcoming events and things to happen. And they took him to, they showed him briefly a place where there was a crystal city all like quartz the whole city was made of quartz crystal and he said the sky was dark wherever that was like indigo and it was full of stars but the dates that they gave him um i thought he was really having a lot of anxiety when he came back about a lot one date in february and i thought there was going to be a war or something because It was right when his car accident happened was during COVID and there was a lot of uh, division and separation and riots and people were getting fired and resistance to the shot and all that. So I thought it was going to be like third world war or something. But um, looking back now, I think they told him when he was going to die because one of the dates was in February and, um, That is when he died this year. He died uh, in February, and they were telling him that's when you're going to come back. I don't know if they told him how he would die, and maybe that's what caused him so much anxiety when he got back here. But I believe that they might have been, that was one of the dates they were telling him about. Then he said the next place um, he found himself was in blackness. And he said he was naked again, and he was uh, experienced an extreme amount of fear. And he was running, um, just trying to get out of there in a state of panic. Uh, And he said it was like a forest. He knew it was a forest with lots of trees. And I said, well, how'd you get out then? And um, he, he said, I woke up in the hospital. And he said, uh, I was chained to the bed and I had a ventilator hooked up to me 
And he said um, that was a really terrifying, not a good feeling at all because he is such a free spirit, you know. Um, they did that because they didn't want him to wake up and try to yank it out or something, I guess. Um, so I didn't even know he was in the hospital because they had, he'd left, you know, his wallet and phone at home. So they had admitted him as a John Doe and he was unconscious then for a few days. And I was worried because he talked to me a few times a day, but sometimes occasionally we'd go somewhere with a friend and I wouldn't hear from him. So I just thought I was hoping it was that. But I asked him, because uh, he called me, I guess, when he when he got out of his coma and they put him in a regular room and took the ventilator out when he started breathing again on his own, uh, he called me and told me he had gotten in a car accident. And I asked him if I could come over and see him. And there were COVID rules in place. And he said he had to find out about him and then get back to me. And he eventually called me back and said I could come just one person you know, can be assigned to come and see me however much they want, but just the one. So when I went and talked to him, uh, that he told me right away, did this like thing by his head and told me I'm nuts. And I said, why? And then he, that's when he explained what he had saw. And I told him, cause I had read some near death uh, stories and and I told him, I don't think you're nuts, man. I think what you had was an NDE uh, because, you know, the, I'd read about like the tunnel and them reading your thoughts and that kind of thing before. So I, I said, I think that that's what had happened. But uh, I he, he didn't want to tell the hospital. He didn't want to tell anybody. He kept it very hush hush because uh, I think it was his own judgments about it that made him fearful maybe that other people would be or something. I don't know. Thank you for sharing his experience with us. He had two car accidents, one during his withdrawal that caused him to have the NDE. And then he had a second one, which he transitioned over to the other side. Um, Actually, no, if, if that's how I made it sound, I apologize. Um, he transitioned over the other side because uh, his liver wasn't working and uh, he got COVID when he was in the hospital getting treatment for the liver problems. And that that's what took him out. Uh, the liver issue was going to, uh, he was going to pass from that anyway, but uh, it was the COVID that just made it happen sooner. So I'm sorry if I no, wasn't no, clear on that. No need to apologize. Um, in the introduction, I said you have had dreams with him. Do you think mm-hmm. that they're visitation dreams or types of dreams that you're sorting out your, you know, life with him? Um, I, I guess I don't know for sure. Uh, if you want, I can tell you the specifics about some of the dreams, and then maybe you might be able to see that from your perspective. Sure. Um, The first dream I had of him was shortly after he died, and he talked to me about being in the coma. And he said that when he was in the coma, 
this was in the hospital with the liver slash COVID incident, not the NDE uh, coma. Um, he said that he could feel that ventilator and that they also had a very large IV hooked up to his neck and him being hooked up to other machines. And he told me that um, those hurt. He felt that in the coma. And he also told me that uh, he was very sad because the hospital at that time, you know, when I went with this car accident, they allowed one person to come for the visit. But by the time he was in the hospital for the liver issue, uh, the hospital, you couldn't come at all unless somebody was dying. And while he was in there aware with the liver issue, he just had to be in there alone. And he, that made him really sad that none of us could come and see him. And he was, that, those are the two things he was telling me in that first dream. And of course, I always wake up crying because um, I miss him. But while I'm in this place with him in the dream or either a vision, I always sense who he was. Like I can feel like I'm standing there with him. Like you feel when you're with someone here on earth talking to them. I always feel his energy. So it upsets me because then I have to, when I wake up or uh, when I'm, you know, back at the visions over, I'm separated from that. And I don't want to be separated from that because I still wish he was here. I still want to be with him. How does he appear to you in your dreams? Um, just like he was here, like he just, in, in that particular dream, he was just standing there like he was dressed like he would dress uh, in on earth and talking to me in, in that form. Um, that's not, well, I guess I think about it. That's how most of them are. He's usually in how he knows I see him. Would you say that he looked any younger than he did at the time he transitioned or more youthful or vibrant or anything? Um, no, uh, not, not in that dream. Um, I, I know his, in his, in another dream I had about him, the surroundings and him seem more vibrant, but not, not that particular one. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that is what I was worried about, maybe that he felt, or maybe, I don't know. It just seems really real because I always feel his energy when I see him in the dream. Can you tell us about how you and him were connected, perhaps, or you felt like you had some kind of spiritual connection with him while he was here? Yeah. After he got out of the hospital, um, he had some kind of more spiritual experiences and uh, I felt uh, connected to him that way because I understood 
where he was coming from with those experiences. Uh, one of them was uh, he saw some demons at his apartment and I, he told me, he told them that they're not welcome here and they did leave. But I actually around the same time saw them at my apartment and I asked him what they looked like. And he told me uh, they were all gray and thin and look kind of like a gargoyle, but not with wings, just, you know, just the body. And that's exactly what I had saw in two different scenarios at my apartment that the, the same, they look the same as what he described. And uh, another thing was that he was seeing numbers after he came back all the time numbers, uh, like 111, 555, 444. And I have had that happen all the time and was having it happen when he was, you know, interacting with me as well. So I had already looked it up. What, what does this mean? You know, why, why are we seeing all these numbers? And another thing that um, uh, is he, we got into his car and his car uh, electronics were always messing up. Like sometimes his car would start and sometimes his car wouldn't start. And also his phone, same thing was always messing up. My phone's not working. My phone won't charge. And I had uh, that same kind of stuff happen to me, but that was a long time ago. I had a suicide attempt, and after I got back, I saw that happening uh, with me as well, with the setting off like fire alarms and stuff uh, when I walk into a room. Mm. And so I had that. Um the did you have an nde from that no i just uh i didn't see anything i just i tried i took a bunch of pills um and then that's all i remember and the next thing i woke up you know they had put me in the hospital or whatever i woke up looking member saying this is not my room. I don't, if I had one, it was, uh, it was taken. The memory of it was erased or something, but I I do know that after that, I became a lot more uh, heightened in my uh, just awareness of what was energies around me and people could sense what was kind of going on with them without talking to them and that kind of thing. Um, but I told him about the electronics. I thought that might've been NDE related too, because of what I remember happening to me, but also I had looked it up online just to verify that, uh, is that something that meant, you know, NDE people experience ever. And I did read that online that mm-hmm. that happens. Um, but I also noticed with him 
And I think he heightened my awareness uh, coming back from the NDE more than I was before. Because one, one night, because uh, he ended up living with me, he had to get a bunch of surgeries on his foot from the initial car accident. He had to get pins in it and that. And he changed his whole perception of how he perceived the world. He didn't want to go back to the kind of work he had been doing. And so he was struggling with what to do and what he ended up doing. He didn't make near as much money. So he ended up having to leave his apartment and he came and lived with me for the last maybe four or five months of his life. And while he was there, I remember waking up one night and I felt this extreme impending doom and gloom feeling come over me. And he would often sit in the chair in the room I slept in. I think he was having trouble sleeping uh, just because if he knew he was dying. He didn't tell anyone, but he knew. And I don't know if he got that information from the hospital with his car accident, that his liver wasn't working, or if that's what they told him in the NDE, uh, you know, because they did tell him we're coming back. And he did tell me in the hospital, too, when he first uh, had the car accident, they told me I'm not going to be here very long. And I freaked out. And he kind of withdrawed that later. So um, anyway, so I woke up with that impending feeling and he was sitting there in the chair and I told him about it and he said, come here. And I went over to him and he grabbed both of my hands and he closed his eyes and he told me, you have a hole in your aura and I'm going to fix it. And I was kind of like, you know, again, because I was surprised because he had never studied anything spiritual. He didn't know about ores or he just thought it was a bunch of baloney or whatever. But um, I did feel better after that, but I don't know what he did, but I do know that he was able to, because I have a, a lot of tarot cards and Oracle cards and I had studied that for a long time, just what the imagery and symbolism means and he never knew about any of that either. And I was laying out cards and he would be able to read the cards and what all this symbolism and imagery meant. And I couldn't at that time do as well as he could, but at, since he died now, I can. So I feel like his presence uh, lifted up my abilities as well. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else he did. He told me a lot of stuff, too, when he was at my house about us all being connected with like a golden thread. Um, I I have a few notes that I had written down because the NDE party told me so many times I remember some of the life lessons that he was sharing with me after he got back. I don't know if you want me to go into any of that or um, stop here. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a couple of them? Okay, so he did talk about Jesus a lot, and he said that that's all you need. Uh, he he often spoke about him, and he his focus was one nice thing a day, and he was uh, out and about helping people for that last year or whatever, older people getting groceries in their car or opening doors or whatever, that was really important to him. And I thought I was going to be helping him because he was in a weakened state, but he actually helped me 
gave me gift cards and bought me clothes and took me places in his car and stuff like that. So I think it became his focus to whatever good you can do, do it. Um, and another thing that he taught me was to be really grounded in, in the moment and look for the oasis in the desert. So no matter what your circumstances are, you got to hold on to the good, even if it's just a few small things, uh, to be always looking for that and not think about the other stuff too much and to just live life in the spirit, not, uh, not by what someone else says you should do or some, you know, rules of society or whatever. If they're the same as what your spirit's telling you, fine. But if it's different than that, to go with that, to just live life to the fullest and nothing besides that. Don't think too much about it. Just go with your heart. Um, and he said nature is really important. The, the healing aspects of nature, to be in nature and use as much of nature as you can to make yourself better. Since he has transitioned over to the other side, how do you feel like you've processed all this? Well, at first, you know, of course I was devastated, but I realize now there were so many things he was trying to show me before he had to leave that I didn't get when he was telling me I got after he died and they actually got me to the next phase of my life. And so, um, yeah, I just, I think that they just didn't click until he was gone. And I was, nothing clicked until he was gone because during that time he was living with me too. He was telling me how to take care of all of his stuff after he died. He was giving me a verbal will, but he spaced it out far enough uh, and diff enough in between that I didn't catch on until so after he died, I realized all the spiritual things he, he was trying to show me in the card images that we, you know, we had laid out and the lessons that he was trying to teach me and then what to do with them after he had passed. And I just, yeah, it's really hard because, <laughs> um, he was, uh, even though he didn't believe in God, he just did what he wanted his whole life. You know, he just, I want to go to California to a, a concert I'm going, and he made it happen. Mm. And he didn't care what was going to come, you know, what people were going to say or stuff like that. He just, and I think all of us in the family weren't really as much like that. We were all kind of more, uh, that by rules of the world or something. And we didn't just get up and go to California because you don't do that, you know, but I think we all started to kind of do more of what the spirit has led us to do after he's gone. Do you think that his NDE was kind of an accident and that he was already planned to die when he actually died? Um, I, I think the NDE was uh, his chance to see that God exists. And um, 
to be able to come back and finish some that's what his grandpa maybe meant by you need to get your stuff together for your family. I think there were some messages he needed to relay to all of us that were going to happen in that last year uh, before he, he passed the second time. Um, but I know he was carrying around that he knew he was going to die. And I'm sure that was kind of uncomfortable. I'd not be able, he was trying to protect us. I don't think he wanted us to know, but I think they were talking to him. I'm pretty sure when he lived with me, he was still having dreams and stuff. I dreamed about grandpa. Uh, He told me, you know, this and that or whatever uh, again. And I think they were staying in contact with him that last year, instructing him what to say to me uh, and instructing him what to do. Uh, he, He pretty much cut off contact for everyone it was like there was a plan set in place and he wasn't to allow anybody to interfere with that because uh, he had stopped talking to pretty much everybody except for me and a couple people in the family and one of one other of his friends that he was close to and uh, the rest of the people he he just shut out. He more or less became like a hermit, a recluse and limited what he said and who he said it to only unless he was helping somebody. After talking to your son about his NDE, did it make it feel to you more that NDEs are real? Yeah, because I, you know, I'd read about them before, but I never really knew anybody that had one. So when he told me he's in the tunnel and the angels are singing to him, I'm like, what? This is amazing. We have to talk about this more. And I was Actually, I didn't know he was dying um, because when he first told me the NDE, uh, it was extremely limited. Like he didn't have the words or didn't want to reveal too much. And I wish I would have asked him more questions, you know, to get even more detail about what he was actually seeing and feeling. Uh, he, He was not as he started to draw afterwards, too. He was not as creative. Um, so I think if I would have asked for more detail that I could have gotten it, you know, more elaborate, uh, emotions and detail, uh, illust- like visually what, what he was actually seeing and feeling, uh, I don't think he knew how to put that into words yet, uh, cause he was just learning to be really artistic and creative after it was like that part of him didn't exist that's kind of who i am but he didn't tap into that until after he got back from the nde what inspires you about his nde i think it you know the nde i never had issues with grasping that those are real and that People might experience them different based on what they need. I think I learned more from what the lessons he was telling me that were helpful to me to evolve, uh, that he learned. He didn't know how to put those into words, I don't think, until he got back from the NDE. So I think that that's, I guess, the part of the NDE that I appreciate is that he got more words to explain what I would need to become who I should become. 
how have you evolved or gotten to the next step and and what is it like now um okay so i i think i went through what they call the dark night of the soul after he died and uh my work had permanently closed and i was an artist and illustrator and designer and i had an etsy store and all that just kind of stopped randomly like by fate not it just ended no matter what i tried it wasn't going to change and then his death uh, it triggered me into kind of like a down spiral where everything I tried wasn't working. And that's where I was able to draw on the memories that I had of what he had told me while he lived with me these last few months to pull me out of that and get uh, to a, a better place uh, because n- nothing was happening. It just I was just in my house for months without a purpose. And the way that I got out of it and into my next purpose was to remember I was reviewing in my mind what he had talked about while he was reading those cards to me and explaining what the images meant. And the way I got out was I remembered about the nature thing and uh, I focused on getting outside and going to the park, and I, I would take my shoes off and just walk in the park without my shoes, because I also had saw uh, some YouTube videos about uh, some something we need from the earth if you're out in nature to you know put ground yourself, get your actual feet on the earth. So, and he had told me about nature and the importance of that, and I remembered that, so I started doing that. Uh, The next thing I did was to focus, like he said, on the oasis in the desert. No no matter what is going on, look for the good. So even if it was just for the one thing that day that I'm breathing, I had a place to stay. I had a place to sleep. I had food to eat. I started being grateful for just those few things. And that helped. And then it got more things started happening. So I was able to expand on that gratefulness. Another thing uh, is I had a book. I still have it. He, I actually bought him one. It was called uh, Color Therapy. And it's uh, about using color to heal yourself. And one of the ways that you can do that is by Rainbow Diet. That's what he was focused on, but you can also do it in other ways, like um, with your clothing, um, with, um, let's see, food, crystals, like you can use color crystals or whatever. So I started eating foods that, you know, like yellow foods to uplift your mood, uh, because that's what yellow can do. It can give you self-confidence. It can uplift your mood. I had all that knowledge before, but it was more knowledge. And I think what he taught me was use it, you know, start using it. So I I did that with the the colors and the nature and the gratitude. And let's see, what was the other thing he told me? Um, I I guess those are like kind of more of the main things and just, go for the spirit what what are you about and 
I just, what am I about now? I'm, I'm still an artist and I'm still an illustrator and designer, but what was I doing shortly before he died? And prior to that, I was helping people uh, that were, had substance abuse, him included, and also mental illness and people who suffered psychological trauma. I was, doing that in my personal life with my free time, taking people to treatment and stuff like that. So I I thought, well, if I'm doing that already, why not give myself a new purpose that way too? So that led me then to uh, signing up, applying to be a a peer support. Um, And that's someone who is an advocate and resource for people that are suffering from any of those things because of your own lived experience, you know, because I said I years ago had committed suicide um, or tried to commit suicide. I had problems with mental illness. He had substance abuse and a lot of my family members that are alcoholics. And so I was around all this anyway. So I then that kind of spiraled me into the new purpose, which I actually got accepted to be in those courses for that, which start in August. And um, so that that's kind of going to be my, my new thing now um, is then helping people with the, any of those issues recover. And so, yeah, it was just a combination of his lessons and remembering how we're all connected, you know, kindness and that how you can affect each person um, by your own actions. So uh, now I've got out of it. I'm not in the dark night of the soul anymore. I'm, you know, starting these courses. I've moved and I have a much positive, more positive outlook. Like there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's probably something, but in general, I'm able to stay upbeat regardless of what's happening for the day. And it's because I'm always remembering those things that he uh, he told me about, or either I had knowledge of, that he reminded me, use it. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit-chat with you. Are you open to that? Sure. How should, uh, they, how should they reach you? Um, well, you know, you have my email. Um, they can either reach out to me that way. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, my name is rainbow dog 22. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, small lowercase letters, rainbow dog 22, no separation. They could just message me on that. But other than that, I don't, you know, have Etsy or anything like that anymore. Um, so I guess one of those two ways would be okay with me. Would it be okay for me to just post your email address in the video description? Yeah, that's fine. You said your Etsy store was closed. Did you have anything yeah. else that you wanted to share or anything like a book or a class or a course or um, a store or anything? I do have. I actually started a group on Meetup. I, I was thinking about doing Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's called Natural Healers. Um it's and you would put in Oconomowoc for Wisconsin. They could join that group. There might be a 
I might do Zoom meetings for anybody who wants to talk about anything spiritual, because like I said, I have a background with all that, the, you know, crystals, the tarot cards, oracle cards, uh, fairies, any any kind of stuff in that realm, I I, I I like to talk about. So if they want to just talk to somebody about that, be part of a group that discusses those matters, uh, that could they could search for that group on Meetup. It's just called Natural Healers, and I would just put Oconomowoc. Okay. Wisconsin, yeah. How do you spell that, Oconomowoc? O-C-O-N-O-M-O-W-O-C. Okay. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I feel like the oasis in the desert is a really important thing. Uh I just, I see a lot of posts of, uh, that are worried about the world state or whatever, and they're not quite sure what to think about things right now. So maybe just each person within themselves to focus on uh, the gratitude for the things that are going good would, it, it just, I, I saw how it expands is all. So I think that would be a good thing. Donna, thank you for that message, and thank you again for coming on and sharing with us. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Well, thank you so much. I am really glad to be here, and I wish you the best, too. Thank you.